0: Good morning and uh, happy Easter. Uh, If you're new with us, if this is your first time here at Veritas, or if you've been coming for a while, uh, I just want to welcome you and let you know uh, how glad we are uh, that you're here this morning. My name is Ryan. I serve here as one uh, of the pastors. And uh, once again, we're really, really glad uh, that you're here and you've chosen to gather with us uh, together this morning because this morning uh, we have gathered together to really celebrate. Uh, What's the best news in all of the universe, Uh, really the most important reality in all of history, that Jesus Christ lives, uh, that he is risen from the dead and that in his resurrection from the dead, he has conquered our death and our sin. Uh, We are here to celebrate that nothing is too hard for the Lord and that he proved it by raising Jesus from the dead. And we're here to celebrate uh, that because Jesus is risen from the dead, he can change everything about our lives and about our stories. And and so to do that this morning, we're going to do that from the Gospel of Luke chapter 24. And so if you've got your Bible, you can make your way to the Gospel of Luke Uh, chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible, no problem. We've got one for you on that table over there. uh, You should see some hardback black ones. If you'll flag down one of our ushers that's standing over there, they'll bring one to you, uh, and you can keep that. That's our gift to you uh, as a church. And if you're not real familiar with a Bible, don't know where the Gospel of Luke is, no worries about that either. There'll be a table of contents uh, in that Bible that'll tell you where it is. It's towards kind of the last third of Uh, the Bible, and those words are also going to come up on the screen. But let me pray for us one more time that God would bless our time together in his word, uh, and then we'll jump into this together. Uh, Father, uh, we come to you now asking that you would do um, what you've done for the past 2,000 years, that you would bring people from death to life, that through the resurrection of your son and the proclamation of his resurrection, you would bring people from death to life that you would save, that you would move, that you would rescue. God, stir up our hearts with the good news of this truth. Jesus, I thank you that we're not uh, praying words to the ceiling right now. We're not saying words that aren't getting any higher to the ceiling. We are talking to a living Lord who has conquered and reigns over all things, and so thank you for that, Jesus. Uh, In your power this morning, would you stir in our hearts, uh, and would you move to rescue? Have Uh, have your way with us right now, Jesus, uh, in this time. In your name, amen. Amen. Luke chapter 24, the first 12 verses, starting in verse 1, the very word of God to us today. It speaks to us like this. It says, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, "'Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise.' So four things uh, I think we see in this passage. One, the resurrection really happened. Uh, Two, the resurrection means that new creation is breaking in right now. Uh, Three, the resurrection means that all of God's promises are true. And four, the resurrection means that sin is defeated and life with God is available. And so first, the, the resurrection really happened, and this is really the foundation for the other three. The, the text tells us really at the end of chapter 23 that these women, they had seen uh, Jesus, that he, they saw the tomb where his body was placed into, and they saw how his body was placed into the tomb. And so on that Friday night, they go home uh, to prepare the spices and ointments to come back and anoint his body for burial. Uh, they rest on the Sabbath according to the commandment, and then early Sunday morning, they come back to the tomb with their spices, uh, ready to anoint the body of Jesus for burial, but when they get to the tomb, they find that the stone is rolled away and the body of Jesus is not there. Now remember, chapter 23 tells us that they didn't just see this tomb, they saw how the body of Jesus was laid into this tomb, but now Jesus's body is just not there. And that's not normal, right? And so they're perplexed about this. And as they're wondering about this, uh, two angels show up and really give them some of the best news in the universe when they say, why do you seek the living among the dead? You're looking in the wrong place. He's not here. He has risen from the dead. Don't you remember what he told you? He told you he was going to do this. Uh, Later on in chapter 24, Jesus is going to appear again to his disciples, uh, and he's going to say, hey, touch my hands and touch my feet. See that a ghost or a spirit doesn't have a body like I do. He's going to ask them for something to eat, and he's going to eat it in front of them. And ghosts don't do that, right? I don't care how friendly they are. Casper's not doing stuff like that. And so what I'm saying is that the same Jesus that was placed dead into this tomb uh, is the same Jesus that got up alive and walked out of this tomb and is risen from the dead. And, And so the women hear this message from the angels and they take this message back to the apostles Uh, But the apostles don't believe them. They think the women are talking crazy. In fact, the word that Luke uses here, it's almost as if the uh, apostles think the women are delirious. Uh, What they're saying is just so crazy, there's no way that it could possibly be true. Uh, but Peter, he, he wonders a little bit about this, and so he goes to the tomb, and he sees that the tomb really is as the women have told him, uh, that the body of Jesus is not in the tomb, and so he begins to wonder about this, if this is really true, and if Jesus has really risen from the dead. Now listen, there are a whole bunch of things that, that Luke is giving us in here, trying to show us that the resurrection really happened, that this is really true. Uh, In fact, because the historical evidence for the resurrection is just so overwhelming, it's just so substantial, uh, that throughout history, men and women who have uh, not believed in the resurrection and have wanted to find a way to explain what went on on this weekend and explain how Jesus really could not have gotten up from the dead— have come up with all these other alternative theories and explanations as to what went on during this weekend. And one of the explanations and and theories that's been put forward uh, is that Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. The disciples were just making this story up. Uh, But a few few things on that. One, this is not the way that you would tell the story if you were trying to make this story up. Uh, The only reason you would tell the story this way is if this is how it actually happened. Uh, Maybe you've heard before that this this time period, this culture and society was an incredibly patriarchal society, Uh, so much so that a woman's testimony wasn't even admissible. It was not valid in a court of law. And so if you're making a story up and you're trying to get traction for this story and trying to get it to take off and get people to believe it, you definitely would not say uh, that the first people to hear the news that Jesus is risen from the dead are a bunch of women, while the male apostles are all slow to believe. The only reason you would tell it that way is if that's what actually happened. Uh, In fact, uh, in the second century, a guy named Celsus, a pagan Greek philosopher, he hated Christianity, and one of his main arguments against it, and this is kind of a loose quote, uh, one of his main arguments against it, he said, we know that Christianity can't be true because it's based on the testimony of women, and we all know that women are hysterical, uh, that you can't really trust what they say. Now, that's what he said. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, But he called Christianity, he called it the gossip of the women about the empty tomb. And so you wouldn't tell it this way if you were trying to get traction for this story because the world did not value a women's testimony, but Jesus does. Jesus dignifies women. We see all throughout the Gospel of Luke how women are involved and are an integral part of Jesus' ministry. Chapter 8, Luke tells us they're actually uh, women are financially providing for Jesus' ministry, and Jesus is not ashamed of a woman's testimony, so much so that he sees it fit, to make these women to be the first to hear the news of his resurrection. And he really makes them be uh, apostles to the apostles, the first preachers of the resurrection. They go and proclaim the resurrection to the apostles. But, but it's not just that the women are the first to hear this news that shows us that this story is, ma- is not made up. Uh, it's also the way that the apostles are presented. I mean, think about this. These are the leaders of the early Christian movement, and they look like absolute idiots here, do they not? I mean, Jesus explicitly predicted his death and resurrection to them uh, at least three times, and he was really clear about it. He didn't use parables or symbolism. He said, hey, guys, we're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. I'm going to be delivered into the hands of sinful men. They're going to crucify me and kill me, and on the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead. Like, in no way did he try to hide this, and clearly they should have been looking for this, but clearly they weren't. And even when the women come to them and say, the body is Jesus is not there, angels appear to us and said he has risen from the dead, they still don't believe. And so if you were trying to make this story up, you'd want to make the leaders of the movement look like heroes, not like fools who were slow to believe the evidence that was right in front of of their face. But it's not just that. That's not all the evidence. Some people say that the disciples, uh, just because they were so sad about this, they kind of made this story up to carry on the memory and the legacy of Jesus. They just kind of said that he has risen uh, from the dead in their hearts, and and they wanted to perpetuate his memory and legacy by telling this lie. But think about this as well. Uh, When you and I lie, we lie for reasons that we think are going, to be, are going to benefit us, right? We lie for reasons that serve our own self-interest. Like, we lie when we think it's going to make things go better for us, or when it's going to make things easier for us, or when it's going to bring us more comfort, or money, or security, or things like that. But nobody willingly lies when they know it's going to lead to the exact opposite of those things, right? Right? I mean, it is just ridiculous. It's absurd to say that the disciples made this lie up to perpetuate the memory and legacy of Jesus because here's what them preaching the resurrection led to. Uh, they are regular, they were ostracized by their entire community. The people, the only people they had ever known, completely shunned them. They are regularly persecuted and beaten to a pulp in the book of Acts for preaching the news about Jesus' resurrection. And church history tells us that almost all of these apostles were brutally killed and martyred uh, for their preaching of the resurrection. I mean, Paul was beheaded in Rome. James was killed in Acts chapter 12. Uh, Church history tells us that Peter was crucified upside down. It also tells us that Andrew had his skin flayed off. Uh, and the Apostle John, they apparently boiled him in a pot of oil, and that didn't kill him. And so that freaked everybody out, and so they exiled him to the island of Patmos and just left him to die there. Like, you don't go through with stuff like that for something that you know is a lie. You might be able to be convinced to die for something that is a lie that somebody else convinced you to believe that you don't actually know is a lie, but no one goes through with stuff like that for something that you yourself made up. I mean, these apostles, they go from terrified and fearful of death, running away from Jesus at the crucifixion, slow to believe, to bold preachers and witnesses to his resurrection, so much so that they're willing to be put to brutal death because of this truth. Why? What changed in them? They saw Jesus risen from the dead. And or think about what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He, he starts talking about the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, Jesus, he died for our sins. He was buried on the third day. He rose from the dead. And then Paul begins to talk about all the different people that Jesus appeared to after his resurrection. Uh, and he finally gets to the point where he says, he appeared to more than 500 people at one time, most of whom are still alive, meaning like you guys can go talk to them and see that I'm not making this up that I'm really telling the truth. Like, I don't care how powerful the shrooms are, uh, 500 people don't have the same hallucination at the same time. That sort of trip just does not exist. And so Paul's saying, like, I've got nothing to hide. Go talk to them. You will see that the resurrection is really true and that I am not making this up. Listen, the resurrection, it's also the only thing that can explain the explosion of Christianity across the globe. Like, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think very many people have gathered together today to uh, read the words of Plato or Aristotle or Gandhi and worship them as their Lord and Savior and proclaim that they're risen from the dead. Uh, Maybe I'm wrong, but if that's happening, it's one or two people somewhere. But listen, all over the world today, in Africa, in India, in China, in South America, in Canada, in Ukraine, in Russia, In Iraq, in all of these different places, men and women are going to gather together and celebrate the news and proclaim the news that Jesus really is not dead, he's alive. Like, what else could explain the vast transformation of men and women across all different cultures and continents across 2,000 years? Like, this has been consistent through all of history. What else could explain that except the fact that Jesus is risen from the dead? And so Luke is trying to show us that this really happened, that this really is the truth. The resurrection's not a metaphor or a symbol to communicate some other truth, like hope springs eternal, or joy comes in the morning, or hope will win out in the end, or after the darkness, there will be light, or things will turn up in the end. No, Jesus literally got up from the dead. Like he was dead, and then he wasn't again. And he's alive right now. He lives And because he lives, because he is risen from the dead, that changes everything. For one, it means that new creation is breaking into our world right now. You see, before the resurrection of Jesus, because of what the Old Testament taught, Jewish belief during this time was that uh, human history could really be divided into two ages, two categories, if you will, the present age and the age to come. Uh, The present age, the world that we live in, is a world that was made good by God, but yet is also filled with brokenness and sin and destruction because of the fall. But God promised at the end of history, he would usher in the age to come, the eternal life of the age to come when the Messiah, the Savior, would come. And he would establish God's kingdom on the earth. And God would raise all of his people from the dead so that God's people would be back in God's place, living under God's rule, experiencing God's presence and blessing, free from all the devastation and destruction that our sin has caused. That when this age to come came about, death would be no more pain would be no more, mourning, suffering, and sorrow would be no more. But that was thought to be way off in the future at the end of history. But look back again and notice what verse 1 of chapter 24 says. Luke says that these things took place early in the morning on the first day of the week. Now, where has the Bible said something like that before? Well, right from the beginning in Genesis chapter one, when God first creates the universe, he speaks light into existence on the first day of the week. And so Luke, by calling back to this and alluding back to this, Luke is saying that when Jesus, the light of the world, rises from the dead early in the morning on the first day of the week, new creation is breaking into our world right now. That it's not just something far off in the future, it's here right now. In John 11, Jesus calls himself the resurrection and the life, which means that the resurrection and the eternal life of the age to come just got moved from the future to the middle of history now that Jesus is here and risen from the dead. It means that the power of new creation, the power to make all things new, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is right now breaking into our world and even now beginning to make all things new because Jesus is risen from the dead. Paul says that if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Which means that the power of new creation, the power that God is working to make all things new from the moment you believe, it begins to come into your life and you begin to experience the power of resurrection life with Jesus that is a totally different kind of life. Like listen, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, hear me when I say this. Christianity is not you get saved by Jesus and then you spend the rest of your life trying really hard not to sin and be a better person and be a good person and religious and go to church. No, Christianity is resurrection life with Jesus that starts right now where he makes you brand new and totally rewrites your story. He begins to recreate you from the inside out and he brings the power of new creation to break into your life and make all things new in your life. And listen, I know that so many of us know that this is true, because think of so many of our testimonies. So many of us, if we gave you the mic this morning, you'd be able to get up here and say, yeah, I was living for this, and I was trying to find freedom in this, and I was looking for happiness and satisfaction in this. But then Jesus broke in and changed absolutely everything about my life. Like my marriage is different. The way I parent my children is different. The way I work at my job and think about my job is different. The way I treat others is different because Jesus broke into my life with resurrection power and completely changed my life. And yes, of course I still sin. Of course I still struggle, but Jesus really is making all things new in my life. Like I'm not what I used to be. Listen, you didn't do that. He did that. That's new creation, that's resurrection life breaking into your life and making all things new. Like, where would you be had Jesus not resurrected your life? And I think this reality, it should fill us with incredible hope, uh, not just for ourselves, but for the city of Fayetteville that we find ourselves in, and for our family members that don't yet know Jesus, and for our friends that just seem too far gone. Because look, Jesus is not the great commandment giver that has come to bring a new set of rules to make good people better. No, he is the resurrection and the life that can bring dead people back to life. This is who he is. This is what he has done. He is the one who can bring life out of death. He is the one who can bring hope where everything seems hopeless. He is the one who can make a way where there is no way. Like, listen, a, a future pastor here at Veritas might not be here this morning because they're strung out on the streets of Fayetteville right now. Like the, the per, a person we baptize next Easter that gets in this trough and proclaims their faith in Jesus and what Jesus has done to bring them from death to life might not be here this morning because they're waking up hungover again after another night trying to find freedom and, and escape in the bottle like a future community group leader, might not be here this morning because they hate God and they want nothing to do with him. Listen, none of that scares Jesus or puts him off at all because he's powerful enough to turn all of that around. He is not in the business of making good people better, he's in the business of making dead people alive. Like, man, listen, this just fills me with confidence. It fills me with confidence because it means that we scatter out of this place back into the city of Fayetteville, not with a long list of rules from a dead guy that don't have any real bearing on people's lives anymore. No, we go with the good news of a Savior who is powerful enough to completely transform their lives and bring them from death to life because he's not dead, he's alive. Like, no addiction is too strong. No sin struggle is too deep. No one is without hope. No one is out of Jesus' reach. And listen, I believe Jesus has many people in this city that he wants to save, and he wants to do it through us. And so let's plead with the Lord for more opportunities to share the good news. Let's plead with the Lord to see more people getting in this trough and getting baptized and proclaiming their faith in Jesus. Let's plead with the Lord for more people that could get up here and say, I was an absolute wreck, but Jesus came in and changed everything about my life. This is what Jesus can do. It's what he can do for you this morning if you're not yet a follower what he's offering you. The resurrection means new creation is breaking in right now, but it doesn't just mean that. It also means that all of God's promises are true. Look back at the text with me at verses 6 and 7. It says, he is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day, rise. And so the angels tell the women, like, guys, you should have known that this was going to come about. Remember how he told you this. He foretold and promised that all of this was going to happen, and now it's all coming true. But look, the resurrection, it doesn't just mean that God has kept this promise. It actually means that God has kept all of his promises, And this is really the foundation of our faith. This is the issue that faith stands and falls on, this question of, is God faithful? Can I trust him? Is he trustworthy? Will he keep his promises to me? I mean, this was the great hope of God's people in the Old Testament, that this is the God, that the God who he says he is is really who he says he is, that the same God who brought their forefathers out of slavery to Egypt would act again to save them and bring them back to himself that this is the type of God he is, a God who never forgets his people or his promises and always comes through on his word, always does what he says he's going to do. And listen, the resurrection of Jesus proves it. The resurrection of Jesus proves that God is the God that he says he is, that he is the God who has the power to bring life out of death, to call into existence the things that do not exist, the God who has all this power and uses all this power to always keep his word, to always be faithful. Listen, at the darkest moment in all of history, when the Son of God lay dead in a tomb, God raised him from the dead. And so when you are in your darkest moment and you ask yourself the question, can I really trust God? The answer is yes, because he raised Jesus from the dead. How can I know that God will not forget about me or change his mind about me? Because he raised Jesus from the dead. He didn't forget about Jesus. He raised him from the dead. How can I know that the suffering I might be walking through right now won't be the end of my story? because he raised Jesus from the dead and his resurrection guarantees ours. It guarantees that uh, God will not abandon us, he will not forget about us, he will not turn his face away from us or change his mind about us because he did not abandon Jesus and we are in him. Where he is, we will be also. And so the resurrection shows us that God is always faithful, ever faithful to keep his promises and do everything he said he's going to do. And because God is this faithful God who keeps all of his promises and does what he says he's going to do, the resurrection also means that sin is defeated and life with God is available. If we're going to understand the resurrection, we have to keep it connected to the cross. Uh, The cross and the resurrection is one movement. It's one act of God to save us. It's the two sides of the same coin. On the cross, Jesus becomes a substitute for us, standing in our place to take the judgment that we deserved and pay the penalty that we owed for our sin. Uh, As Jesus is dying, the, the curtain of the temple is torn in two, symbolizing that the way back into the presence of God has been opened. And as Jesus is dying, he cries out on the cross, it is finished, and then he gives up his spirit and he dies. Now, when Jesus cries out, it is finished on the cross, he is saying that he believes that through his death, the debt that we owed for our sin has been paid for in full, that he has paid for it and that we owe for our sin no more. But listen, here's the deal. If Jesus remains dead in the grave, then he was wrong. Like, it is not finished, he is finished, and we are still in our sins, This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, we are still in our sins. Think about it like this. Let me borrow an illustration. Let's say that uh, you commit a crime and uh, the judgment rendered against you for this crime, the payment that you're going to have to pay for this crime uh, is 10 years in prison. So how do you know when the debt for that crime is paid for in full and that you've really paid it off? Well, after they unlock the prison doors and let you walk out as a free man or a free woman after 10 years in prison because you've paid the debt in full. You've served the time. You've paid the penalty. Well, in Romans chapter 6, Paul says that the wages of our sin, the earnings of our sin, the the curse of our lawbreaking that we deserved is death. But Jesus on the cross says that he took that curse for us, that he paid the debt in full for our sins, that he uh, conquered it in full and paid for it. How do we know that Jesus is actually telling the truth and that he really has paid for our sins in full? Well, on the third day, the prison doors of death opened and he walked back out into life. Listen, if the resurrection is like a check, pay, if the cross is like a check paying for your sins, the resurrection is the proof that the check cleared, that your sins are still in the grave because Jesus is not. Like Jesus' it is finished on the cross is answered by God the Father's. Yes, it is in the resurrection. Look, look, if you could outsend the cross of Jesus Christ, then he would still be in the grave. But since he's not in the grave, you can know for certain that your sins still are. If you you are trusting in Jesus, you are not in your sins, you are in Jesus. And Romans 8 says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. None. Like, you will never face judgment. Ever. Ever. Do you realize how freeing this is? If you grew up in church, you probably grew up singing an old Easter song that was called Because He Lives, and it says, because He lives, I can face tomorrow, because I know that He holds the future. And listen, all of that is good and glorious and true and right, but because of the resurrection of Jesus, we're also able to sing and to say, because He lives, I can face yesterday, like you can face the shame and the darkness and the brokenness of your past, and no matter and know that no matter how bad you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're bringing into this room this morning, it will not keep you from Jesus. It will not separate you from your Savior. It will not make Him change His mind about you because He conquered all of that in the in the red cross and in the resurrection. Like this is what Jesus. Has done, And so when the devil comes to accuse you uh, of your sins and remind you of your sins and try to heap shame and guilt on you and preach the resurrection to him, say, I know that those sins will not keep me from Jesus because Jesus walked out of the grave and because he walked out of the grave, I know that I will too. Nothing will keep him from me. Nothing will separate him from me. Nothing will make him change his mind about me. And listen, this means, the resurrection means that you are being invited into a real living relationship with the triune God, the creator and the redeemer of all things. You're not just being invited uh, to follow some rules from a dead teacher. You are being invited into life, real life, the type of life you were made for with Jesus. You see, because Jesus conquered all of your sins in the grave and rose from the dead to defeat them, And you can have real life with him. You can have God as your friend. You can have all your sins forgiven. You can be brought back into the family of God. This is what's on the table for you. This is the invitation to you this morning if you're not yet a follower of Jesus. And listen, we've looked at the facts and the evidence for the resurrection. And the facts are there. But it's not just enough to believe the fact. You have to respond you have to do something about this uh, i used this illustration last year on easter but i'm going to use it again because i think it's just so clarifying uh, of the response that jesus is calling us to here and so there's a story uh, about uh, a famous acrobat a tightrope walker from i think the 18 or 1900s and uh, he was super talented. He had the ability to just kind of wow all of these crowds with his talent and how he was able to do all these kind of tricks on this tightrope over massive heights. And so he had this whole routine where he would uh, go out to the middle of the tightrope and he would eat his lunch on the middle of the tightrope. And then he would get his bike and he would ride his bike back and forth uh, across the tightrope. And then he would get a wheelbarrow and he would push the wheelbarrow back and forth across the Uh, this tightrope and so after he would do this whole routine and he's kind of got the crowd worked up he would ask the crowd uh, if they believe that he could put 200 pounds worth of weight in the wheelbarrow and bring it back and forth safely uh, and get it back safely to the other side and of course after everything that the people had seen after everything that the crowd had seen they all said yes of course we believe that you can do this But then he would ask the crowd for a volunteer, a man or a woman, to step out of the crowd and actually get in the wheelbarrow to prove that he could really do this, and no one would take him up on the offer. No one would volunteer. No one would get in the wheelbarrow. You see, they believed a fact about this, that this man really had the ability to do this, but they didn't actually believe it enough to trust their lives to him. They didn't actually believe it enough to actually get in the wheelbarrow. But listen, this is what Jesus is calling us to do. Like the facts are there. He, he has risen from the dead. But it's not just enough for you to believe the fact. You have to respond. You have to get into the wheelbarrow. You have to believe that Jesus really has died and he has risen from the grave to forgive your sins and give you life with him. You have to believe that because Jesus has risen from the dead, he is the Lord of the entire universe, which means that your life is his and you have to submit your life to him. You have to give it over to him. Like this is the question you have to answer this morning. Did Jesus rise from the dead? If he did, he's not just one God among many. He's not just one good option among many that you can kind of take or leave, pick and choose If he did, he is the Lord of the entire universe, and you have to respond. You have to come to him. If he did, everything he said is true, and you have to deal with it. And listen, I just want to plead with you. Everything we've talked about this morning is on the table for you if you will come to Jesus. You can have all of your sins, past sins, present sins, future sins you haven't even committed yet, fully, freely, and forever forgiven by Jesus. You can have all of your shame and guilt conquered, buried, and undone, and you can have real life with Jesus, the triune God of the universe, the creator of the universe, as your friend. This is what's on the table for you. And look, I don't care how bad you've been, I don't care what you've done. I don't care what your story is. I don't care what you're bringing in here this morning. I don't care if you didn't grow up in church. Jesus, the risen Jesus, is offering this to you right now. He's offering himself to you right now. Jesus has lived in your place the life that you could not and have not lived. He died for your place the death that you deserve to die for your sin, and he rose from the dead so that you might rise from death with him. But you have to respond. You have to trust him. You have to give yourself to him and get in the wheelbarrow. But this is what he's offering you. This is life. Like forgiveness of all your sins, freedom from your shame, and life with him. And don't you want that? It's here for you. Let me pray for us, and then I'll give you an opportunity to respond. Jesus, thank you for this good news that you are risen from the dead that you are not dead, you are alive. You've conquered our sin and our death in the grave. And so Jesus, as we move to respond to this good news now, would you help us? Would you stir up our hearts? Would you stir up our hearts to trust you and to love you and to see you and to celebrate the good news of your resurrection and what you've done for us? And for those who are not yet followers of Jesus in here this morning, God, would today be the day? Would you move in their hearts, right now in this moment and save them. Bring them from death to life like you've done so faithfully over the past 2,000 years of the history of the church. God, please do it. Please do it right now. God, do this among us. Help us to respond to your grace. In your name, amen.